I hope it's not too late to say this, but Happy New Year, everyone. Good. Yes, Happy New Year. We are back um, after the long winter break, the holidays, and it's a joy to be back. And as we have returned to our normal gatherings as a church, we also return to the book of Hebrews. Yes, I am glad to hear that response. Um, If you have your Bibles, um, whether it's a hard, physical, traditional copy or it's on your digital device, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. The book of Hebrews chapter 9. This week we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of chapter 9. By the way, if you're new and you're like, who is this fella? My name's Obed, I'm one of the pastors here, and thank you for coming. As always, if you want more information, you can find out um, all of the information about who we are, what we do, what we are about at the Connect table. We've got Steve there, um, looking sharp in his white t-shirt, yes. Um, find out that, or you can go to our website. We also have done our best to inform you as much as possible through our website. And so, yeah, that's the plan. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through to 10. And as is our custom and tradition, may you please stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through to 10 reads, Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, um, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. This is God's word. Let's pray. 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 Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Um, as we return to our normal gatherings for this year. Um, We return in order to exhort your son, Jesus Christ. Our gatherings are not about us. It's not about anyone or anything else other than you. We want it to be all about you this morning. And so as we do our best to understand what the tent was all about and the, the Ark of the Covenant and all of these 
things. I pray that you would bring clarity, um, not just information, but God, may you help us see how this all relates to us and changes the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, last year, we started a series um, entitled, Jesus is Better. And this series is based on the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is one of 27 books in the New Testament. And Hebrews has been a source of encouragement um, to Christians for centuries. This book of Hebrews is unique in a lot of ways. But one of the things that distinguishes Hebrews from many other New Testament books is that the author is unknown. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Another distinguishing feature of Hebrews is that it is more of a sermon manuscript than a letter. And the reason I bring that up is most of the books of the New Testament are letters. But the book of Hebrews is not a letter. It's more of a sermon. It's a manuscript of a sermon. Hebrews has in it many imageries and quotations from the Old Testament. And as we've spent several months looking at Hebrews, you've noticed that a lot of the themes and imagery and quotations are from the Old Testament. And as a result, Hebrews is not light reading. It's meaty. All right? Author Michael Kruger says, the book of Hebrews is not a light appetizer. It is more like a porterhouse steak. It sure has felt that way, hasn't it? As we've chewed on the contents of Hebrews, it's just been like so meaty and so deep, and we love it. I love it. I hope you do. The purpose of Hebrews is, first, to show that Jesus is better than anything or anyone else in this world. The purpose of Hebrews is also to encourage struggling Christians to persevere. The book of Hebrews wants to help you and everyone see how and why Jesus is better. And I cannot think of a book for us to enter this year studying. Um, Christmas holidays, just before the Christmas holidays, my family and I got sick. And because there's like, what, five of us, you know, when one person gets sick, the other person gets sick, and then someone else gets sick, and then as the first person is recovering, like someone, and then it kind of goes, like it, it just keeps going and going through the family. And so for a long time, we were sick. Um, and thankfully, we got to Christmas and we were all okay. But like I would say for me personally, and I'm being super honest here, like I always try to be, it's like during the Christmas holidays, I really looked forward to spending time um, just like relaxing and resting. But specifically, I really wanted to just spend time with Jesus and just be with him and read scripture and pray. But if I can be honest, that wasn't my experience. I had a Christmas that was, um, was not as Christ-focused 
as I wanted it to be. Um, I didn't pray as much as I did. I didn't read scripture as much as I wanted to. Um, I was just in this weird funk. I really was. And I, you know, was thinking about what is wrong with me. And you know Christmas. When you get to Christmas, you kind of let your hair down. And you're like, it's Christmas. I can do anything I want. I have permission to do nothing. I have permission to indulge in all the food that I want to. But, you know, you kind of have that mindset going into it. And I kind of had that. And as I really, that mindset cemented in my heart and mind, I really just began to squeeze Jesus out of it. And so at the beginning of this year, I was so thankful that we would begin our year studying Hebrews. And as, you know, the guy that studies and speaks all the time I'm thankful I was reading this passage and I was studying it and I was like I'm just thankful thank you God and thank you that in this time we've been studying Hebrews and so so far Hebrews has helped us see Jesus is truly better and I hope in the coming months and however long like our love for Jesus would increase as Hebrews continues to expose us to his beauty and majesty. Last time, our study of Hebrews helped us see that the Mosaic Covenant, the old covenant, which was instituted by God between him and the people of Israel, was not meant to last forever. But it has been replaced by a new, better covenant. Who remembers that last time? No one? Yeah, Christmas. Yeah, it's Christmas. Um, This new covenant, which was brought... (laughs) Um, about by the person and works of Jesus is better because God's spirit empowers you and gives you a transformed heart to obey him. And we also saw that this new covenant is better because it means that we truly know God because we have an intimate relationship with him. And lastly, this new covenant is better than the old because our sins are forgiven and removed once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we covered. And so in light of that, the author of Hebrews continues this chain of thought comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. Okay, And as he does that, um, what we must bear in mind is that he's not, um, he, he, he doesn't want to um, reject the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. He doesn't want to say all of that, you don't need that anymore, whatever. It's not relevant because we now have a new covenant. He doesn't want to do that. In a way, um, PR, um, pastor and author Raymond Brown observes that the writer of Hebrews recognizes something of its former glory. And I would say that's why the author of Hebrews begins chapter 9 with these words. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. In other words, the old covenant had instructions, had detailed instructions for worship. And it also had, what, a place for worship. Okay, And this earthly place of, for worship... You know, it's another name for what is usually referred to as the tabernacle. The tabernacle. The tabernacle is probably a phrase you've heard quite a bit if you're familiar with your Bible. Um, I would guess that most of you have heard of it, but a lot of you are like, okay, the tabernacle, I've heard of it, but what is this all about? What was the tabernacle? Rest assured, our passage for today is all about the tabernacle. 
And my hope is that by the end of our study, you'll not only gain new information about this tabernacle, but you will see, and listen to me, you will see how the tabernacle and the furnishings bring meaning and depth to your faith as a modern-day Christian. New Year's, I'm going to read through the Bible some of you have embarked on a journey through the Bible, okay? You've got a Bible reading plan, you've printed it out, or you've got an app and you've set notifications and you're ready to study the Bible and you like work, read it every day. But for a lot of us, what happens is we get to the book of Exodus and Leviticus <laughs> and we start reading about sacrifices tabernacles, incense. And then we are thinking, wow, what am I doing? I'll start again next year. <laughs> but rest assured, this morning, I want to whet your appetite for God's word. I want you to see that every single detail, every single image, every single thing in God's word is so precious and is so relevant for you as a modern-day Christian. And so what was the tabernacle? What did it look like? What was inside of it? What went on inside the tabernacle? In what ways does the tabernacle bring meaning and depth to your faith as a modern-day Christian? First, we have the description of the tabernacle. Okay? Um, look, uh, actually, no. Um, so the tabernacle um, was a tent. It was like a mobile worship center, and it was constructed during the desert wanderings under Moses' guidance. As Moses led the people out of Egypt, God commanded him um, to build a tent for him. Um, Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 to 2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. Okay, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And so what's happening there? God's like, look, Moses, speak to the people and take offerings for me. Yeah, and it goes on to talk about gold and money and everything like that. If you go to Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 to 9, it also reads, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Okay, so God's like, gather all the resources, make for me a sanctuary. The Hebrew term we translate as tabernacle refers to the idea of dwelling. In view of this, the tabernacle, and this is mind-blowing, okay, the tabernacle was the physical structure identified with God's presence. This means at that time, in all the world, the tabernacle was the place in which God's presence dwelt. Put simply, the tabernacle, okay, this tent Moses has been instructed to build, was the home of the God of the universe. In other words, whenever God's people wanted to encounter God, 
the only place they could encounter him was in this tabernacle. And so what was the tabernacle like? What did it look like? In Exodus 25 and 20, say God gives Moses this blueprint on like the tabernacle, how to build it and everything. But in our passage for today, the author of Hebrews gives us a brief summary of the structure, and not the, just the structure, but the artifacts, the furnishings within the tabernacle. Look at verse 2. For a tent was prepared. A tent, tabernacle, okay? The first section, what section are we going to be looking at? The first, good, thank you. Making sure you're with me. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Okay, there are two sections in the tabernacle. The first section, known as the outer course of the, or the holy place, um, and in this room, what is in there? It's the lampstand, the table, and bread of the presence fascinating these items were not just like pieces of furniture that made the place look good they had meaning okay the lampstand was made of pure gold it had these flowering branches do we have a picture of that do, do we get a picture we um brilliant if you could put a picture. okay there you go so there's the lampstand okay you know what the lampstand is you know which one it is yeah yeah Made sense. Okay. Um, the table for the bread of the presence was also made of gold. Um, and the bread of the presence consisted of 12 loaves of unleavened bread that symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, the bread were arranged on the table in two rows of six and loaves and were to be eaten only by the priests. This is a brief description of the first section. Now let's look at, the, um, at what the second section was like. Look at verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So what was the first section called? The holy place. This is the most holy place. Okay? Uh, did you hear my voice get deeper and stuff? It's crazy. Um, two veils or curtains served as the tabernacle's holy partitions. The first curtain functioned as a cover for the tent's entrance. The second and more significant curtain separates the first section, outer room, from the second section, inner room, or the holy or the most holy place. And this curtain was what separated the holy place from the most holy place. And so, in ancient Jewish thought. The curtain divided the holy place from the most holy place, and it represented various realities. Douglas Moo, who has an awesome name, um, helps us here. He says, for instance, the veil could be understood as symbolic of the separation of heaven and earth, or perhaps two parts of heaven. Regardless, the key point for all interpretations focused on the veil curtain as the separator from the presence of God. And so this second curtain blocked not only God, God's people from coming into God's presence, but also the priests. The priests were allowed to enter the first section, the holy place, but they were not allowed to enter the second section, the most holy place. Only the high priest, and we're going to look at this later, only the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place, and he was only able to do so once a year. Very significant. Hold that thought. We'll come back to the significance of that. And so, look at verse 4. Having the golden altar of incense, 
And the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And so um, within the most holy place, you had pieces of furniture as well. Okay, um, you, had, you had the golden, uh, the golden altar of incense, Ark of the Covenant, um, and inside the Ark of the Covenant was what? The golden urn which held the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, the tablets of the covenant. Um, to just help you guys understand what these, I got this awesome quote from Michael Kruger, and he says, the Ark was like a memory chest, a box full of things that are a treasure to you, that remind you of something. God put in this chest as reminders of what he had done for his people. God gave the Ten Commandments to get his covenant started. He made Aaron's staff blossom as a sign of his power and presence with his promised priest. And he gave the people manna from heaven to preserve them in the wilderness. So the tablets, the staff, and the manna reminded them of what he had done. And so everything about the tabernacle, the structure, the furnishings, meant something. They communicated something. What else was in the holy place? Look at verse 5. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Okay, so there's a lot going on there, but you have this structure, this tent, which is a mobile tent, means it moves around with the people of Israel, and it's designed and structured in a way that communicates something about God and his purposes. And so we've seen the description of the tabernacle, now we'll look at the ministry in the tabernacle. Look at verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. And so the priests, just the priests, go into the first section, perform their ritual duties. Look at verse 7. But into the second, only the high priest goes. Remember, we talked about this. Only the high priest is able to go into the most holy place. And what does he do there once a year? He goes there once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And so the, uh, the high priest goes into the most holy place and he makes sacrifices, not just for the people, but for himself as well. Next, the author explains why he has taken time to describe the tabernacle and the ministry that goes in there. Look at verse 8, 9, and 10. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. Okay, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. There's a lot here, and so let me summarize this for you. In other words, the arrangements... The gifts and sacrifices for worship under the old covenant were the Holy Spirit's way of preparing for something better to come. These rituals, these offerings 
related to the tabernacle were never going to be enough to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. The point of the tabernacle was not just point to a future reality of something better um, coming, but the point of the tabernacle was to remind people of their need for a savior. And so we've seen the description of the tabernacle. We've seen the ministry in the tabernacle next. And finally, we will see the tabernacle and how it relates to us. So what does an ancient tent with a bunch of expensive looking pieces of furniture have to do with you? Do we right now need a tent to meet with God? Thank you. Absolutely not. Our passage for this morning explains how the old covenant included various physical locations and physical rituals, included rooms and artifacts of the tabernacle. And the goal of all of this was they were symbols. In fact, the artifacts, these furnishings were specifically intended to show how the old covenant could not remove the separation between God and man. The use of external rituals can only relieve feelings of guilt, but it cannot actually remove sin or change a person's nature. The existence of the curtains separating men from the holy places is also symbolic of how the old covenant leaves us apart from God. So this is reminding us of some limitations. And these limitations were meant to cause the people of Israel to look forward to a time when God would enable people to enter into his presence. And so fast forward, we get to Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and his life, death and resurrection fulfills those symbols and enables us to enter into a relationship with God. And so, as I've said it, and I'm going to say it again, because you may not have been tracking with me, the purpose of the tabernacle was to prepare the way for something better. The purpose of this tabernacle was to was was that was that um, it, it would help people see that they need something more than a place. They need something more than um, you know a, an earthly human high priest, and that they need something more than these things in order to encounter the God of the universe. Whether you believe in its teachings or not, the Bible that you are holding or you have on your phone is without a doubt the most extraordinary and most influential book ever written. If you take time to read your Bible you will find that the Bible is not merely some kind of religious rule book, but the Bible, the scriptures, 
It's the most wonderful, supernatural, miraculous, amazing book in the whole world. No book is like the Bible. Because the Bible is a book that was written by God. And that people are changed as they read and study and observe its truth. In a way, God wrote a book and it's called the Bible. This is crazy to think that the God of the universe, the God of creation provided us with literature that if read and studied changes the way we see the world and changes the way we live. Unbelievable. The Bible, this diverse collection of ancient books, overflows with so much wisdom, not just for the ancient world, but for now. It's absolutely timeless. And one of the most fascinating things about the Bible is this, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the most valuable and sacred book in human history. It's all about him. Jesus is the focus from the very beginning all the way to the end. The Bible Project, Tim McKee and co, who I love so much, said this, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so within this time, I hope you are wetting your appetite for the scriptures. I hope that throughout 2023, you would develop an insatiable desire for God's word, for the scriptures, for the Bible. And like the tabernacle, every theme, imagery, story, that is found in the Bible points to Jesus. He is crazy. He was taught about way before he was born. There is no one else like Jesus. And there is no one else like Jesus because Jesus was God. Today you can visit the tombs of the founders of almost every major religion. You can visit a gravesite for Abraham in Palestine. You can visit a tomb of Buddha in India and the burial place of Muhammad in Medina. You can go to Egypt and visit the tombs of many of their kings and queens. But if you were to visit the tomb where people think Jesus was buried, you'll realize one thing you, when you get there. Well, you realize it's empty. There is no one else like Jesus. He has achieved what no one else has achieved before. And Jesus' um, tomb is empty because Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. 
our sin separated us from God. Our sin made it impossible for us to enter God's presence, but through his sinless life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection, the curtain was torn in half, and if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have unlimited and unrestricted access to the God of the universe. There is no one else like Jesus. We may not know who the author of Hebrews is, but we do know that Hebrews was written to Jews who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. Some of them were discouraged because they had lost many acquaintances and relatives after converting to Christianity. And as they did their best to endure these times of difficulty, they were tempted to give up on Jesus and return to their previous lives without Jesus. It's possible that some of them were tempted to return to the good old days of worship in the tabernacle which consisted of priests, sacrifices, lampstands, and sacred bread. They were hoping to find inner relief through outer rituals, says Charles Swindle. He goes on to say, The author of Hebrews, however, argued that external activities, no matter how perfectly performed, can't cleanse a guilty conscience. Even though times have changed, people are still the same. Charles Swindle again says, in an attempt to soothe an uneasy conscience, ease doubts about personal worthiness or make up for too many missteps, people turn their back on grace to embrace legalism. The tabernacle has many meanings, but it ultimately points to Jesus who has made it possible for us to commune with the God of the universe. God has always wanted to be with his people. The tabernacle was a picture of God's plan to take away the sins of the world. The tabernacle was a temporary solution, but Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus, everything he was and everything he's done, says that this was the permanent solution to bring people back to God. And so my question to you is, If Jesus is enough, if Jesus is the mediator and the one that enables you to enter God's presence, in what ways are you trying to gain access to God and acceptance in his presence outside of Jesus? What is your tabernacle? What rituals or religious activities do you often rely on to get close to God, to gain acceptance and his love? What place have you come to believe is where you can encounter God? Whatever they are, This year, may you come to understand that just like the tabernacle, those things will never be enough to enable you to enter God's presence 
And may you come to understand that Jesus is enough. Who he is and what he has done is the only way for you to enter into a relationship, whether new or sustained, a relationship with the God of the universe. I love John chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so how are you trying to get to the Father outside of Jesus? May Jesus be truly enough for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these reminders. There's always so much for us to unearth and study and cover, but God, I pray that what we've been able to cover this morning and study would be enough. And throughout the week, in our community group, we wouldn't just gather more information about these biblical truths, but that what we learn will change us and cause us to fall more and more in love with your son. In his name we pray, amen.